Okay, ready. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to the Youngin Kotisal podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. Welcome to the Youngin Kotisal podcast. Today, my guest is Rhea Metituk. Hi, Greg. Good to see you today. <laughs> Hi, good to see you too. I understand that you came to Korea in 2002. What brought you here then? That is correct. And that's always the hardest question to answer definitively. <laughs> um, well, I suppose it has to do with what I was doing before I left. Uh, I had an experience as a tutor in an ESL school in Vancouver. And it was a part-time job, but I thought, no, this is something that I quite like and would like to get into more. Mm. And at the time, I had students from all over Asia, some South American students and so on. And I felt a particular closeness with my Korean students. And they were the ones that suggested, Raya, why don't you just come to Korea and do this? And so I looked into it and decided to take a jump and thought, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I could come back after six months or a year and never thought that I would just stay and stay and stay. But for one reason or another, here I am. Yeah. Wow. That was the World Cup time, as you know, because I think you came just about the same time. Is that right? I, I did too. Yeah. It was a wild time. Yeah. During the World Cup. I was in Daegu. Where were you? I was living in Bundang, actually. And... For the game itself, I went to like uh, somewhere in Shincheon and sat in a place and got to see people cheering Korea on and the streets were just full of people in red shirts and it sort of blew my mind. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It was cool because we, you were in the same position. We both came and we're sort of immersed into this uh, new culture and hear all these people running around. I, for me, anyways, they were banging those bottles, yeah, all together, and it was such a a whole a national pride parade, I guess. Yeah, something like that doesn't come along that often, I think. But but boy, when it does, they sure do ride the wave. I must say. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> when did you get involved in Kotisol? Um. Kind of later in my time in Korea, uh, let me think, was it six years, five years? Something to the effect of that. I was living in Busan and a friend of mine suggested that I get a membership. So I thought, sure. And I signed up and I bought a membership and went to a meeting. And it just so happened to be an election meeting. And they said, we really need a secretary if you're going to be around, what do you think about uh, signing up? Of course, I ran uncontested and I thought about it and thought the people were pretty cool and that I would enjoy meeting them every month. So just jumped right in from there. The people are pretty cool. Yeah, I really felt like it opened up a whole new dimension of my experience here. And mm. I just couldn't stop after that. So here I am. <laughs> The obsession continues. It's still obsessed. <laughs> well, it's still passionate about it, it seems. Well, you know, it's quite a community with a legacy that keeps changing a lot. And I think one of the hardest things to answer 
is what is cortisol? Mm, what is cortisol? At first, it's it's whatever the person experiences it to be, but there's so much going on on so many levels. Mm. You know. And you you actually are you know, speaking of levels, you are at the executive level, you are the Korea Tessel Vice President on the National Council, correct? Uh this year, yep. And you're still and and you're the local Busan secretary? Um I'm the membership officer this year. But so you're at you're you're active in really two different levels all at the same time. So how do you manage that? Well, I find it to be very complementary and ideal, really, because well, it's a little bit different because of the pandemic. Things are operating in a different way. But when you're involved at the local level, it's very motivating and you get to have the social aspect and work on projects in a smaller scale. Well, it can mm. be smaller or bigger. And I just really enjoy the people at the Pusan chapter and we get along really well. And um, we've been working on some events this year. The current president is a good friend of mine, Annika Kasem. She's also my coworker. Right. So we'll see what we end up doing together this year, but it's it's been fun. And then getting involved at the national level, just eventually, if you stick around in Cotisol, you can explore all the different elements. And I don't feel like there is, well, I feel like the, the structure is not strictly hierarchical. It, it's more lateral, you know, it's mm. people showing up to do what needs to be done. That is nice. Yeah, and you're involved in help. You're helping to organize social events. Is does that include helping with the international conference that's coming up, February nineteenth to twenty eighth online? <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for that. Not Me officially, too. but if they require anything or information or help finding people, I'm always happy to help out. So I'm kind of an extraneous side helper, just because I know Lindsay and Michael, but I'm not officially on the committees. Right. I'm trying to think if you're the person that does the, the local, like the local newspaper or newsletter. Um, I was doing it. I was the Pusan chapter president two, two terms ago. And during that time, I was running it kind of as a booster to let people know about events because not everyone uses all of our social media pages. Some people prefer email. Right. Um, but it kind of fell to the wayside and it's just been reignited this year by Kirsten Rezak. So she's pretty interested in in getting it going, and I'm excited to see what she does with it, yeah. Me too. Actually, I'm talking to her on Saturday morning. Oh, and, good. And that's why it's in my head, because uh, yeah. it was her that was, okay, I'll talk to her about that. So talking about Cotisol as an, as an organization, what are some of the ways that Cotisol reaches out to, to non-members? Well, a lot of our community is accessible through Facebook and I think Twitter, but like we don't make it a requirement to be able to view our Facebook pages or even to join some of our events, like chapter events, you don't have to be a member. So I right. feel like there is kind of a permeable, permeable gateway there, which is good because people can decide if they want to purchase a membership or not. I mean, it, it does definitely help. We are an, a nonprofit organization, and that's how we keep floating along is through membership fees mostly. Right. Um, but I think it's good that people can 
effectively do a lot of things before deciding if they want to become a member or not. But membership has a lot of benefits, as you know, like if you're going to go to the international conference, it pretty much pays for itself. Mm -hmm. And I can understand, you know, the cost of joining can seem a little steep at first. But if now that I have experienced similar organizations in other countries, such as Malaysia and Japan, we're cheap as chips, really. Oh, really? Usually much, much more to join that kind of organization and go to their events. So Cotisol is quite reasonable. So if I'm a, uh, you know, everyone seems to come for one year, never planning to stay. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) I mean, other than being open to new experiences, which I think is key, how am I going to find out about, what's the best way, I guess, to find out about Cotisol? Especially if I'm, say, working at a, like a hagwon from you know the first year and hagwons are not necessarily cotisol friendly some are some aren't but how how could i access or find out about cotisol what's the best way to um probably through the events that we hold that are advertised on our website and on facebook as well these days a lot of people pick up on those events like when i was living in pusan it was really easy to know, oh, there's something going on with this hiking group or Mm -hmm. a poetry event or live music. And it just, I think that people use Facebook more as expats abroad because they want to find ways to connect with other people. And the Cotisol events are floating around with all of those other options. So that can be a good one. Or if someone's particularly looking for it, they'll find the website and can just, you know, reach out. Yeah. An email or something. Actually, I'm learning from doing this podcast that there are a, a, a lot of new ways, I guess, that people are becoming aware of, of their of their surroundings. Facebook being one. Um, I, I just was talking to Kara. Oh, yeah. She made the TikTok. Yeah. yeah. So she, that's her 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 thing within Cotisol. And, and she put a, an ad up. And that was that's great. I never realized. I think I have more hits on Cotisol. Uh, sorry, on TikTok than I have, you know, on the on the Young and Cotisol website. It's kind of cool. That is good to know. And we definitely need to get on that. I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm a little behind. <laughs> but I always keep lots of, you know, younger people nearby so they can educate me on well, what we need to idea. do. that is a great idea. Speaking of Kara, let's send out some well wishes to the poor girl. I was actually with her yesterday. And she got oh, hurt on the mountain. What happened? Um, we had planned to go for some kind of urban trekking or something. And we chose uh, mm. Inwang San. It's the mountain behind Gyeongbokgung right. Palace. And we ascended to the peak and took some cool photos. And then just as we were going down, she twisted her ankle in a bad way. And we actually had to call EMT oh. services to come and get her. She's oh. in the hospital right now. Well, a shout out then to Kara. Get yeah. well. Shout out to Kara. She gets better really quickly. Oh. I feel so bad for her. But, um, is Kara an outdoors kind of a person? I think you are. Yeah. Well, she really likes going out for walks and exploring and stuff. So I don't know the full extent of her repertoire with outdoorsiness. <laughs> but definitely Well, good for I her am. for making yeah. it to the top. That's great. It's, yeah, she did a great job. So hopefully she'll want to go again one day. <laughs> Not too soon, though. 
Um, it's a good thing, you know, during this period of uh, COVID-19 to get outside and get some exercise, breathe some air, get some oxygen yeah. in your blood. It's really important to keep the body moving. I know, you know, people can get a little bit stuck in a routine, good or bad. And our routines have been altered a lot due to the pandemic. So what sort of alterations have you made other than the obvious I mean, doing the Zoom classes? Actually, can I ask you, how do you do your Zoom classes? Sure. Um, in what way do you mean? Well, I noticed just from my colleagues, some do, actually, I think they don't even use Zoom. They just do a recording and put it on the LMS. Mm. Um, I, I do live, my Zoom classes, struggle with the, what do they call it, the breakout rooms and that kind of thing. So I'm curious okay. your experience with Zoom. Well, from the get-go, I pushed quite hard for just running the whole class live for the opportunity to do that because I knew that my students probably wouldn't have so many chances for interaction when the pandemic mm -hmm. first started off. And I thought, especially because we're teaching a skill, speaking being most important, that they needed the practice. And they'd probably really appreciate the chance once they got over the initial you know, shyness or whatnot. Sure. And so that's how I ran my classes for the last two semesters. So we just right. have a live class for two hours and I meet them once a week. But I am thinking about changing it up a little bit in my third semester. We're going to be online. So I might do a combination of preparing some material that, because we're going to be switching our books and I will have to spend more time helping them work through some stuff. So I'm looking at creating a tutorial that they have access to in addition to live classes. So that would be something they have access to before the live class? Yeah, kind of like a, for example, a bit of a like explaining some grammar points or saying, okay, now we're going to go through this reading. Please pause here, read, and then coming back to helping work through some comprehension questions or listening exercises so they can do it on their own time. And then we can just use all the time that we meet together for active speaking. What other sort of applications do you use to for, for those other before and after class activities? Well, I'm still looking around because this is a recent decision, but I actually flipped my classes before the pandemic started for a few semesters. And mm -hmm. I was using um, Google Classroom and Flipgrid and a combination of whatever I could get my hands on. And I always thought that it would be advantageous for my students to be learning about different online applications in addition to the language that they learn. You know, learning mm -hmm. how to learn is really right. important to teach. And, and I would tell them that, you know, this you're not just learning English, you're learning this and this and this, as well as self-management and, and so on. What grade or, or age are you teaching? Oh, right now I teach mostly freshmen at the University of Ulsan, but I have also taught international students and not all of my students are freshmen. It's a compulsory course that they have to take. So sometimes they're a senior. It could be mm -hmm. varying ages. Yeah. 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 Same. I did. You mentioned Flipgrid and I have found Flipgrid to be great just for the speaking practice and recording them, getting them to speak about something. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Flipgrid. Yeah. It's pretty fun. And I like that you could set it up to have them respond to other people's videos and it's all easy to see and right there. Kahoot is a fun game. And I sometimes look for games that we can include that are played online. 
Mm. When you have the, your live Zoom classes, what are your your rules for students as as they attend? And you have all these faces on your screen. Do you have any sort of <laughs> guidelines for them? Well, I'm pretty easy on them for the first couple of weeks in terms of attendance. And I let them know that there's a grace period, but that that period will end at a certain point, And then I'm really strict about attendance. Mm. So I put the onus on them to show up and say, this is going to count a lot for your grade. And my students are motivated by that. And then later, they're usually really happy that they spent the time. And I've had some students, I do a self-reflection exercise at the end of the semester, because I think it's really important to get into that metacognitive aspect and thinking about what you've learned. Some students tell me, hey, Rhea, like, I was shy even speaking Korean before this class, but this altered my personality and I'm really excited. Or wow. I want to travel to countries that I was a little bit scared to do before. So some of them are honest. They're like, this was really hard for me, especially in the beginning, but it's like ripping the Band-Aid off, you know? Right. I, I think that's so important that you're addressing their confidence and uh, oh, definitely. actually addressing them up front, but they're gaining confidence through their uh, participation in your class. Of course, you you need to urge them on, but also create like the feeling of a safe space. And I, I emphasize mm-hmm. that making mistakes is great. Like if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not learning anything and everyone's going to make mistakes. And there's no ultimate endpoint when you're perfect even for a native speaker, there's still more that we can learn all the time. All the time. So, yeah, it's like making a sandbox to make a soft space for them to fall down, get up, and just a playfulness, a playful attitude mm. is really important. I like so that. So I joke sandbox. around and I make fun of myself a little bit too. And, you know, they like that I don't take things too seriously most of the time, unless the rules are broken. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just clear objectives and treat them with respect. Mm. What about wearing the masks during class? I encourage them to show their whole face in the camera as much as possible. And I explain, well, I, I like to use the example, every day when I go out into the world, here, I have to try to speak Korean. And I understand it's really hard. And I tell them, for example, if I need to go to the bank and explain something about something that I want or a situation. There are a lot of words that are really hard for me or that I don't know. Do you think it's easier for me to make a phone call and explain everything over the phone or go sit in there face-to-face and try to interact with that person? And they go, well, of course, face-to-face. I say, how about you? If you're going to talk to someone and you can see their face and read their emotions and gestures, are you going to be able to understand them more easily? Oh, yeah, yeah. So... People need to know a reason. If they understand a good reason, then they want to do it. I had maybe one or two students who were just deathly shy, and I didn't, you know, I just let it go. But for the most part, they were okay with that. However, if they are forced to join a class because they can't get from one classroom to another, you know, without getting to my class in a cafe or something, then that's okay, and they can wear a mask. But generally, most of them didn't wear masks. They just joined from their house. You have some students that uh, uh, attend your class while they're in a in a cafe. I did, especially. Let's see, at my university, towards the end of the semester, terrible timing. Like right at the beginning of exam week, actually, one of 
the professors in the architecture department got COVID-19. And I have a lot of engineering and architecture students, so they had to evacuate the dormitory. And it was a total, they were just in flux. And so, like, some of them were still coming on campus to do uh, laboratory things that they had to do on campus. And they did it with some kind of social distancing measures. So, Mm -hmm. you know, more of them were doing that around that time. When they had to wear a mask and maybe if they went to a cafe and they, I understand they might be in flux for in that particular mm-hmm. situation experience. I had a few students that were in a cafe and it was really difficult. I mean, they can mute their mics. That's true. But um, if I, if they were to participate, it almost made it impossible, you know, with the noise, the ambient noise. Yeah. And that kind of thing. For sure. And, you know, I would point it out and, <clears throat> excuse me, just again, reason with them and think, is it going to be easier for you? And are other people going to appreciate that if you're joining in a cafe without a really good reason? So it was definitely the exception to the rule. Most of them were joining from a quiet space, but Mm -hmm. I feel like we really, especially through the pandemic, one of the biggest lessons for everyone, teachers especially, is just compassion and My students, some of them were pretty easygoing about everything and some of them were very depressed or worried and they just Mm. didn't want to get this thing or they felt sad that they couldn't have the same experience that just a few years ago students would have. So I was interested in how they felt. Especially in that first term. Yeah. In the spring. Yeah, that was tough. They work so hard in high school in Korea and they finally get to go to their post-secondary study space and let loose a little bit for the first year or so, but that was kind of taken away from them. Yeah. Yeah. I found the second term was a little bit more relaxed and I mean, people were more familiar. Uh, I don't know for you, my students pretty much uh, follow me for the whole year in the spring and the fall term. By the second term, they familiar to with me and my ways <laughs> and, uh, uh, and and Zoom. So it was definitely a lot better in this fall term. Yeah, similar to me. I had a lot of repeat students. Do you think you'll be into the classroom face-to-face classes next fall? I think there's a pretty good chance. I talk with my university admin just to feel out the situation, and they think that it could happen, but they're not saying for sure. sure. We'll see what happens with the vaccine and herd immunity, all that stuff. I don't know. Uh, anybody's guess. Well, I know for sure the spring semester is online and then after that, maybe. But it's not the ideal situation when you're teaching people that the main activity is to be in close proximity, speaking into each other's face. It's kind of harder. (laughs) But we'll see. Things can happen quite quickly in Korea, as you know, (laughs) when they do happen. I'm I'm surprised that uh, you've got the word already that you're going to be online for the spring. I haven't heard anything yet. Well, it's not 100%. But the the main person who manages the teachers, he's really nice. And I often dig for information from him. <laughs> he knows what's going on. Well, it's good to know who, who are the people that have the information. Definitely That's in the right. organization. Hey, who is the person to talk to in Kotisal? You know, who is the go-to person for information? I have an idea, but I'm wondering who you might say is. Oh, well... There are several. There are Hmm. several. But I think the person who is the deepest well of information, depending on what 
period of time you want to focus on. But uh-huh. I would say Lindsay knows more than almost anyone. Dave knows a lot too. And Lindsay and Dave are close. And of course, Brian being the, the president. Hmm. Yeah, it depends on what kind of aspect of Cotisol you're, you're thinking about. Personally, I'm focused on, with this podcast, I'm focused on getting the attention of teachers that are walking down the street, basically, uh, and getting mm. them to think, become aware of Cotisol. That's kind of my focus. As much as I love Cotisol and appreciate all the time and effort that the volunteers spend, I think the point of improvement is to work on branding and profiling our organization as being very welcoming because it's not as welcoming as we might think. Some people feel a bit intimidated by, oh, is it very official? Do I have to have some kind of certification to join? And also paying attention to increasing diversity is really important, something that I've seen improve, but we still have a long ways to go. Does our profiling welcome everyone? Right. It's something that I think about all the time. There is a special interest group uh, for for, um, diversity, is there not? Well, it started with the social justice special interest group. And from there, a lot of other ones were developed. We have a people of color special interest group and women and gender equality. I think that there, I've seen some talks in Cotisol on neurodiversity, and there has been speculation about a SIG being created for that as well. Wow. And I think, and this is just my opinion, but if we want to keep growing, that we have to really put a lot of energy into those aspects of Cotisol and integrate, make it really integrated into the organization. Yeah, so that it is a permanent part of the organization. For sure. Day-to-day functioning. Yeah. yeah. It was, a, it was a very prominent step to develop our code of conduct, an initiative by Dave Schaefer, but to have it implemented through our practice in a meaningful way would be very helpful. Well, step by step, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a process. Right. My sense, I think kind of what attracted me to, to you in terms of, of interviewing you for this podcast is your openness to talk, frankly. <laughs> and and you've offered a lot of really good ideas, unbidden. You you just seem to have just sent me things and, and, and done things that I've have been very helpful for me. So I kind of see you as a as a visionary person. Um and so I think very good person to have in, in Cotiso. Um and I'm gonna come back to podcasting again because that's my thing. Um so can you envision a, a role for podcasting if, within Cotisol or even? Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. Sorry, I, I think I missed the end of your sentence there. Or? Well, I, then I was going to add uh, or as, as a language teaching tool. But let's talk about within Cotisol first. Well, when I discovered you were doing this, I was very plussed. I thought, yes, this is just wonderful. And I managed to join in and just get the vibe of how it was going. And I feel like it's a really soft, open space. It's more intimate. You know, we have a lot of events like conferences that are vibrant and alive and Mm -hmm. lots of people want to present there. And it's a bit more extroverted and podcasts 
can, well, I've always liked podcasts and, and you get to really, you can put people in their comfort zone and get them to open up and share what they're thinking. And it's just a really nice conversation. It is intimate. I agree. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. And I think it is something that complements what we need in Cotisol really well. Hmm. You know, Um, for example, yeah, we have media pages, but some people are not comfortable sharing their thoughts on those pages because they feel like it's so public. We, We need to really work on making the space like truly welcoming and open, I feel. And debunking the kind of mystique behind what Cotisol is. Transparency, basically, right, has super great value. And this is a way of, you know, someone who you're just sharing the personalities of a lot of people involved in Cotisol. And if someone has been to one event, they could be a guest on your show and it moves them into the space in a meaningful way and shows mm-hmm. that their voice is really important because everyone's voice should be heard. So as insofar as teaching, though, um, I think I mentioned to you when I was at a conference in Japan, I saw several, well, I saw a poster presentation and then an actual formal presentation given on how podcasting was used as a language education tool. And that's something I'd like to explore with you more. And I think it has a lot of potential. Maybe we need to do a whole podcast on that. Oh, definitely. Maybe interviewing some of those people and finding out how they developed it and mm-hmm. what how they came overcame challenges. But I'd be really happy to do some research and investigating with you in that dimension. Cool. Later. Do you have plans to incorporate your podcasting with your students? Yeah, that was actually the first thing I thought mm-hmm. of. I was going to do a pronunciation class and uh, have the podcasts a short podcast as a, as a project for them where they do interviewing and it's published. One of the things I've learned from doing this, and I've just started this, you know, in January really is that intimacy that I've discovered from talking to people. I think, wow, I would never know these people as well as I know them uh, or have this opportunity to speak so face to face with them so intimately in, in any other situation. But at the same time, it's very public. You know, it does get published and it it kind of has that dual character to it, this podcasting. So um, as a teaching tool, I'm I'm really looking forward to exploring it. And I did check out a lot of what you did send to me um, with that poster presentation. And uh, I've been listening to the various people that are, are talking about podcasting in education and Still trying to figure it out. I think we should have that conversation after the international conference. Sounds like a plan. So what are you doing at the international conference? Oh, oh I have to think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see, what day is it today? What did I agree to yesterday? No. Um, <laughs> well, for the local Pusan chapter, we are making a gaming social. Oh, cool. Ah, that's what it's called. There's an app called House Party, and you can play a lot of familiar games online with other people, which I think is super fantastic. It was uh, an idea that emerged in our, our crew. You know, I think that online conferences are really fantastic and have a lot of potential. But 
the biggest thing is a social milieu. How do you meet people when you show up at an online event? And you can chat with them sometimes in between or during presentations. If you find, you know, there might be like a breakout room to talk to people and get to know them, which is great. And it's possible to have Zoom hangout rooms and social events. But to facilitate that playful, fun, open atmosphere, that's what we're going for, trying to fill that niche. So that is going on. When when is that going on? We're actually going to have a meeting about that this week to pick the best time, but probably in the evening, like later evening on a weekday or possibly Saturday. Okay, yeah, but people can find that on the schedule on the, the Cotisol. Yeah, so the schedule's being settled at the moment, the last few uh-huh. pieces, I believe. Um, I'm also in a couple of panel, three panel discussions. Wow. So w- one of them is for the special interest group uh, or special interest groups related to social justice, led by Lucinda Estrada, who's our second VP. Mm-hmm. And we will have Jocelyn, who created the first group, as well as Julian, who is in charge of the environmental justice with me. Mm-hmm. And Kara will be, Kara and Annika will be representing the uh, People of Color Special Interest Group. And then Annika is going to join me for the women and gender equality, which I kind of want to change to equity, but yeah, the gender group. And we're going to discuss, you know, the challenges that we faced, especially in trying to cultivate more diversity in each individual SIG's goals. And I'm also in the, um, the McCall SIG, like technology and education, because that's something I'm quite passionate about. So we're going to have a discussion there. And I recently was invited to a discussion on a panel between JALT and Cotisol. JALT is the equivalent to Cotisol in Japan. Yes. So some researchers and event planners from their group are going to have a talk with us and how we can create some connections. And then I have one more that I'm in with Annika. <laughs> I had no that... idea what I was getting into when I asked you that question. <laughs> well... It wasn't my intention to be in quite so many, but Annika and I are going to put on a presentation, like a workshop, based on the way that we've flipped our classrooms for the past couple of years and used technology in the classroom as well. Good one. Very good. Yep. Wow. So far, well, that's it. <laughs> so far, that's it. Well, maybe just you know, don't answer your phone for the, <laughs> until after the uh, the nineteenth. Wow. I, I think uh, those the, those panel discussions. I'm looking forward to uh, to those. I haven't gone to many, but they feel like such a an opportunity to have in depth conversations on the on those topics. So I'm I glad you're doing those. I can't I can't say for sure if panel discussions used to be a part of Cotisol, um, but I feel like they're a little bit more recent addition, or that there are more of them. And I do yeah. know that logistically. With offline conferences, there's only so many rooms in any event space that are big enough to host them. So they can't, they have to limit the number that they have. But they're really popular because you get all these people together sharing ideas and you can make it more or less formal. But that's one of the great things about the online conferences. There's infinite space and time in a certain sense, not completely infinite, but you Mm -hmm. can jam in a lot more sessions that are, have a lot of present presenters and need a bigger space. So, Yeah, and you don't have to spend time walking between rooms. You can just go click, click. That's true. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we've talked about Cotisol. We've talked about the mm-hmm. International Conference. We've talked about hiking carefully up mountains. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've talked about podcasting. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap things up today? Oh, that's like the hardest question ever. Nothing comes to mind at the moment. Is there something else that you wanted to touch on before we wrapped up? No, not this time, but I would like, honestly, I would like to spend some time talking with you uh, about the podcasting in, you know, in the classroom, uh, using it as a, as a tool in the classroom, but also with other people that you have suggested already. I would definitely like to do that. And I think just like we mentioned, the greatest thing about the potential in that is giving students confidence to share their voice, giving them agency. And many of my students are quite fascinated with the idea of having a YouTube channel or, you know, being a personality and finding a way to put their message out there. So giving them different options would Mm. probably be appreciated by them. Oh, I do have a question for you then. You just brought it up we do audio podcast or audio and video podcast do you think would be more i don't know attractive to our language learners freshmen Um, you might have to do a survey on that i think it depends on the personality of the student and if you ask them at the beginning of the semester or the end of the semester (laughs) that's true i guess giving them an (laughs) option of doing it uh, videoed or not but i i do one of my big passions actually is film and I'm quite into Korean film and dramas and before the pandemic one of my biggest projects that I would do presentations on is like doing creative film projects with my students and they have quite a talent in Korea I think you can find amazing cinematography skills going on and I was blown away by what they would put together so the students would put together oh yeah yeah wow So I wouldn't want to limit the option of having the video involved because, you know, the visual element has its benefits. But for some people, I think giving them a choice would be really good if it's possible to do one or the other. I guess my concern is that the the visual would become the priority and the, you know, the speaking, the using the language would sort of fall by the wayside that I think that's where my concern comes from. That could be something that would create a rabbit hole of research questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you touched on an important point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, it's been fabulous talking with you, Rhea, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. I can't wait to catch up on all these podcasts that you have been creating and have lined up. So, well, we have an international conference coming up, so. I have a question for you. Last sure. time I was listening into your podcast, you were contemplating a new name for your podcast. Have you floated any ideas around? I have floated some ideas in my... Uh, I meet with with James Rush uh, every week uh, and talk about what's going on with the podcast. And uh, I keep bringing up the, the name and we're, we really haven't made any headway. So I'm kind of thinking about making it a... throwing it out to the listeners to see um do you have some ideas some suggestions maybe um no not really but i think the name is really important i think something that shows your personality and that it's open to anyone and you know 
so far that I know you're the person who's doing podcasts in Cotisol, but I'd love to see something that has a, a creative element behind it. Hmm. A creative something element. Fun. And that is owned by you because it's your personality that's driving all of these. So. Yeah. At the same time, I'm trying to, and I've said this to other people, I'm trying to create this podcast as something that I'm not talking about leaving it in a year or anything like that. I just want to have it set so mm -hmm. anybody can walk in and take it over. Do you have, like, what are your top three favorite podcasts that you listen to? Right now, um, The Moth, I probably listen to a lot when I'm walking. I'm listening to Serial Season 3 now. Um, and then I'll listen to various, nothing consistently, various sort of news type stuff and uh, and some educational ones. But my walk today was listening to to Serial, um, which is NPR. What is NPR? Uh, National Public Radio, I think. Ah, in the I see, American. I see. Yeah. And what do you listen to? Um, one of my favorite podcasts is the Ritual podcast. And he is a person who kind of went through a transformative experience in his life. And his main focus is health and wellness. Mm. Yeah. So he actually uh, was a lawyer in California who had a problem with addictions and health problems. And at some point, he just discovered a motivation to take care of himself in a different way and it just really transformed his life and now he's really known for running ultra marathons and creating organizations to support the community and uh, yeah so i don't know a lot of podcasts but i'm interested in kind of delving into that genre more so what's the what name, name of it again i just want to make sure i write it down it's called rich roll it's his name rich are you uh rich like r-i-c-h yes and roll R-O-L-L. But not long ago, I put the question out about fantastic podcasts that I have to hear. And I'll go check it out and bring that list back to you in an email because I got a lot of really interesting ones. Oh, okay. You, you sent out a request of what are people listening to? Yeah. Yeah. And I got all different kinds come in. So it, that, that's on my docket of things to explore over the winter vacation actually when I have a bit of free time it's good if you're hiking up a mountain solo it's a, I, I find anyways this sort of or or not I'm actually a little bit conflicted sometimes I do like to listen to podcasts and sort of get lost in it but at the same time I'm missing all of the sound around me the and the quiet yeah it's nice that you can be doing other things while you're engaged with the person's voice yes Okay, I'm going to wrap this up now. Once again, thank you very much, Rhea, for chatting, and uh, let's do this again. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Greg. This podcast presentation has been brought to you by the Youngin Gyeonggi chapter of Kotisal, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting scholarship, dissemination of information, and facilitating cross-cultural understanding of teaching and learning English in Korea. Thank you for listening.